Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Survive and Thrive, a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how in changing times, leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but also thrive. I'm your host, Jennifer Ayers. As a quick recap, last season, we focused on change management and helping our listeners understand how to positively influence the change they want to see in their organization, how to minimize disruption, and how to even normalize that change is constant. In this season, our fourth season, we hope to focus on some of the important aspects facing many organizations today regarding the subject around future of work. How can organizations create a sense of belonging, help their leaders navigate the hybrid workplace, proactively foster diversity and inclusion, and consider things like personalized employment and really help their employees connect to purpose in their work. We plan to do this by exploring central topics around creating healthy work culture and how that can make the future of work even more impactful. We'll talk to various leaders and provide our own perspective on what's happening, what we're seeing, what our clients are talking about, And hopefully we'll all learn a little bit more to help our organizations, quote unquote, unleash the magic. I'm very excited for this episode as I have a very special co-host with me, Lisa Inslee. If you're familiar with this show, then you're familiar with Lisa and her pearls of wisdom. She's going to introduce our guest today, who we can't wait to talk to. Lisa? Thanks, Jennifer. I'm so excited to be back. And I'm very excited to welcome today's guest, Luke Thomas. Luke is the founder and CEO of Friday, a company offering a digital headquarters for company communications. Luke also wrote a book called The Anywhere Operating System, which was inspired by over eight years of working in distributed and remote-first work environments. Welcome to the podcast, Luke. Thanks, Lisa. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. So first, will you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got to where you are now? I started working in tech and kind of became really intrigued by the idea of like, what if I could disconnect interesting opportunity and like working on interesting work from location? It kind of seemed crazy to me at the time that, you know, I would go into work I would open up the laptop that I just carried in in my backpack and I would start doing work. And then at the end of the day, I would leave and, you know, take my laptop with me for several years growing up. I was homeschooled. And so I was used to like this level of autonomy in my day that wasn't happening when I had to go into the office every day. And, you know, for any uh, familiar with the T, the subway system in Boston, it's like kind of annoying. And so it's just like, this kind of seems crazy. Like, why am I spending an hour and a half a day sitting on the tee, like packed with a bunch of other people? You know, it just seemed kind of crazy. And while I liked my coworkers and I liked hanging out with them, I just thought, wouldn't it be nice if there was a way that I could escape this at some point? At that time, there was kind of a small group of people think like Basecamp and Automatic, the makers of WordPress, a very small community of people that were really trying to push the limits on like, why can't we work remotely? especially uh, being people that work in tech. And I kind of latched onto that because I thought that is my escape. And so I decided I wanted to get involved as much as I could. And I just started really looking for places that would allow me to work remotely. And started working remotely, 
quickly ran into all the pain points that everybody has experienced over the last two years. Kind of at a high level, at its most abstract level, it's this kind of question around when I'm in the office, I learn a lot through osmosis, through observation. There's all this informal information exchange. You're constantly taking data, like gathering data and then doing something with that, right? You're making decisions, you're nudging coworkers, if, especially if you're a manager, right? And when you are working outside of an office or when you're working with people in different locations, all of this stuff becomes a lot more difficult. So that's the problem at its most abstract level. Zooming in a little bit more, I kind of think of it as like, there's maybe three or four questions that you're constantly asking. One is like, what are people working on? Two are, who do I work with? Like, who are these people? Are they people or robots? <laughs> three, how does my work fit into the bigger picture, right? How does my day-to-day work ladder up to the goals for the company, the mission and the vision? And then why am I working on what I'm doing, which is maybe like an extension of why does my work matter? And so those are kind of these questions that become very, very difficult to answer when you're working with people in different locations. And in the office, it just happens. It's not necessarily by design, it just happens. I ran into these pain points over and over and over again, every single company I worked at, whether we were fully distributed, partially distributed. And it's just like, gosh, like, why can't, there's got to be a better way. The existing tools, you know, workplace chat is wonderful. It's great for the quick back and forth, but it felt like those systems get very noisy and you still are kind of trying to hunt around to answer those questions. There are other systems like, you know, project management tools, and they're wonderful at collaborating around projects. But it's like, why isn't there like a single place that I can go to see the most important stuff at work? Before we go any further, I want to take a moment to admire the leap Luke made going remote in 2013. Wow. According to a global workplace analytics survey, the number of remote workers in U.S. in 2015 sat at around 3.9 million. While uncommon at that time, it was not unheard of. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into the past, present, and even future of remote work, check out episode two of this season, where we dig into those details. For now, I want to get back to Luke and how he decided to overcome these pain points of remote work. That was kind of the big question that I was trying to answer. And that's what led me to start Friday and really kind of get more involved in trying to just, you know, make it easier to work from anywhere because that's the big unlock here is, you know, giving people freedom and autonomy. That feels like a good mission and problem to try to solve or at least reduce the pain associated with it. There's never going to be a perfect replacement. At Friday, we actually believe that there is no replacement for hanging out in person. Like, how can we make kind of some of the more boring yet important stuff a lot easier? While founding your own company is always challenging, Luke couldn't have started at a more challenging time, perhaps, or a more apt time. He began Friday right before the pandemic. Yeah, so I started as a nights and weekends project because at the time I was like, you know, it'd be kind of fun if I could make a couple grand a month and like pay my rent or something. And then it kind of, continued to grow. And it was like, oh, fast forward a decade or two. If I didn't try to jump in and go all in, I would have kicked myself. I felt an obligation to try to make this a reality. And so yeah, I jumped in full time. 
Uh, we raised kind of like a pre-seed round of funding in uh, September, October 2019. And then what, eight months later, COVID hit? While the pandemic continues, its consequences will linger. So as we're covering the future of work in this season, we wanted to ask Luke his thoughts. What components of our evolving work does Luke think are most important? What should we be paying attention to? You might be surprised by his take on work from home versus work from the office. Yeah, man, there's a lot of different ways I could take this. A lot of the discussion around the future work currently, at least in my line of work, is do we go back to the office? Do we not? And if we do, to what extent, right? It's kind of this range. It's like, do we do fully remote? Do we do fully in office? Or do we something in between? To kind of address that piece, because I think it may be one of the most important pieces, is I would make the case that the office is the new invention. If you look at history, there's a long history of people working in silence from their home or in a monastery or you know, in basically absolute silence so that they can do deep thinking, um, at least for kind of more of the, we'll call it the intellectual jobs where you're working with kind of your brain, which is more akin to what a lot of us are doing these days. The office popped up in the early 1800s. You know, there was some evidence of it before then, but really where things started to, to take hold was in, I believe it was England. It was the East India Bay Company. And the reason why they created the centralized office was because it was easy to keep records there. Imagine like a central repository for all your paperwork. It was also easier if you were a manager to basically watch your employees. But imagine literally like an open office floor plan and all these people sitting there, you know, scribbling things down on pieces of paper because their job was to do the same thing over and over again every day. And what's kind of hilarious is that for these managers or for these people where they need to work with their minds, so to speak, they had their own office because that's where they would get their work done. And that's where they could do thinking. I guess I take the position that the office is in the grand scheme of things, actually the new invention here. And I'm certainly you know, not anti-office. I think the office serves a purpose. It's a tool in the toolbox. And the question is, when should you use it? I think in many ways, the discussion that we're having now about the future of work a lot of people have actually been living in for, you know, a decade or so. You know, a lot of us who have been kind of trying out things, whether it's remote or flexible work, spending some time in the office, some time out of the office, I would just argue that maybe like we should look to them for some inspiration because, you know, it's been kind of scary how easy it has been to kind of predict what people end up doing over the last two years. Because I just literally look at my history. And I look at the history of people that were in that circle 10, 12 years ago. It's really been kind of shocking. In some ways, we should absolutely be exploring and should be really trying to think outside of the box. But there are some areas where I don't actually know if we need to. But also, at the end of the day, each company, each person is different. So the key principle here, I would argue, is autonomy and flexibility, because that is the unlocks. And so some people, they want to work five days a week from home. And the reasoning could be different for one person. And then you might have someone else who wants to do two, three days a week in the office because they find energy being around people, specifically coworkers. You know, as a business owner, what I would encourage people to think about is how do you create a win-win situation? How do you create a win where the employee is able to work not only where they are most productive, but also when they are most productive. 
For some, that could be 5 a.m. in the morning. For others, it could be 8 p.m. at night. As a business owner, you should really try to support that, A, because it's good for the individual, because they're able to build a schedule and a lifestyle where they're able to balance work and life and hobbies and other professional interests. But it's also good for you as a business owner because you are able to unlock higher levels of productivity. It's a win-win. If you give people the autonomy, create some lightweight guardrails, you can end up getting people to perform at a way higher level than they were before. And so I really think the autonomy and the flexibility is the number one thing to optimize for. And if you don't, someone will get a hankering for that autonomy or that flexibility, and they might leave and go somewhere else. And so it's a race to that outcome, I would argue. So I would just encourage people to really focus on that because that's the unlock here. It's not about being completely remote. It's not about being completely in the office. It's about doing what's best for the individual so that the business can benefit. Are you having a little chuckle to yourself, Lisa? <laughs> yes, because we we talk frequently about how um, studies are showing that the debate isn't so much around whether employees, whether a workforce should come back to the office or work remotely. It's really more about how to provide employees flexibility that helps them to bring their best selves to work and therefore improve the employee experience and realize better business outcomes as as a result of all of those things. Wow. I absolutely love Luke's unique perspective on the office as the new invention and how to use it more as a tool in our toolboxes. We've talked a lot about how leaders can provide their employees with tools and the opportunity to be their best selves, Remote work and flexibility as a whole can be a bit intimidating to leaders who haven't embraced it until now. So what can companies and executives do to support their leaders as we shift into a new work environment? How can we set them up for success so that they can help their people succeed? At the end of the day, what a leader needs to do is change behavior at scale. And that's really difficult. Like It's difficult to you know exercise every day for myself. If you're a leader, you're facing a bit of a tall task. From my perspective, there's a few really important building blocks here that can help. The first is, you know, I mentioned this briefly earlier, but this this idea of the office being a tool in the toolbox and remote being another tool in the toolbox. I think about it as like a hammer versus a screwdriver. Sometimes you need the hammer, sometimes you need the screwdriver. And so how do you determine kind of the superpowers? so to speak, of the office or real human conversation, FaceTime versus remote work. And what is that superpower? And so there's kind of these big words thrown around in the space, you know, asynchronous communication versus synchronous communication, right? And for those unaware, asynchronous communication is basically a means of communicating in which the other person does not need to be present at the same moment in time. Right. We're doing this over Zoom right now. And so this is synchronous because we can't kind of do this unless we're all present at the same moment in time. If I write an email or if I put together some type of long form document, that's something you could read when it's most convenient for you. Synchronous communication, there are kind of some superpowers at play. And so the first is that you have a faster feedback loop because, you know, I can observe you nodding your head as I'm talking right now. If something is confusing, you might be able to interject and say, hey, like, do you mind explaining that more? Right. So there's a really fast feedback loop, not only through what we speak, but also how we 
interact, right? A lot of communication is nonverbal. And so when you're in person or when you're communicating over a video call, for example, you can tap into that fast feedback loop to get on the same page, right? And so high level, uh, synchronous or real time in person type conversations are best for converging around shared meaning, right? Imagine two different people on different pages. You get together, you hold a meeting, you're able to converge around that shared meaning and get on the same page. It's really, really great at that. It's also really wonderful at building relationships. So I think about, you know, being able to go out and grab lunch with somebody or sitting down at a table in the cafeteria and eating food together. There's so much that you learn through that experience that then permeates and helps you work better with those people. When people think about the office, I would argue that it should really be optimized for those two things. It's like, hey, if you have people that aren't on the same page, or if you're trying to converge around that shared meeting, you should think about meeting up. If you are trying to get to know each other and accelerate relationship building, you should also consider meeting up in person. On the flip side, asynchronous communication is a wonderful, there are superpowers to it, right? Of written or, you know, recorded video, like a loom or something. There's a few things. First is that you can revise it, right? So if I'm writing an email, I can kind of, you know, backspace, backspace, backspace to create a bit more clarity or to try to create more clarity in the message that I'm sending. You don't have that luxury when you're in a meeting. And sometimes that backfires. The second is that it can persist or it's saved by default. So it can create these running records that can be accessed over time. It also can be a more scalable form of communicating. You know, imagine like a company-wide announcement. I can write that down or I can record that uh, quick video and share it out to a large group of people at once. Asynchronous communication is wonderful for uh, kind of creating guardrails, information exchange, sharing metrics, other information that is generally kind of not incredibly difficult to parse. It's a wonderful way of setting a foundation for discussion. And when you merge both of these together, you create kind of this yin-yang relationship. So let's say you as a leader, you're trying to spend less time in meetings because all your employees are complaining about the fact that you have meetings all the time, which is a, it's a thing, right? It's a real challenge. Yeah. yeah, it's a thing. And I would argue, why is that? Well, it's because I would argue that a lot of the meetings, the leader is trying to gather information and they're trying to kind of gain this context. And they're basically mismatching that information gathering with the need for a meeting. Because people don't generally complain about meetings where they're like doing fun whiteboarding or where they're having fun and getting to know each other and maybe like playing games and stuff. But they will complain about the status update meeting. So the question is, okay, like what tool is built for when? So I like I went on a huge tangent there, <laughs> but I think it's really important that you create kind of this framework for thinking about what is most appropriate and when. Luke is right on the money with this one. Zoom is a great example of times when just because we could use a tool didn't mean we always should. Zoom fatigue was and still is a real side effect of utilizing video conferencing all the time, maybe a little too much. Institutions around the world have all been able to identify Zoom fatigue. And one recent study found that women are more impacted by this than men. So while glancing in your toolbox, remember to be discerning about which tools you pick up and when. 
Luke continues to share his thoughts on leaders in the hybrid workplace. As a leader in particular, your output is measured by the output of your team and those that are adjacent to your team. And so as a leader, you need to know what your team is working on, how they're feeling about their work, what's going wrong, what's going well. And, you know, if you have a once a week meeting, you're never going to get that. It's a good chance for you to like dictate work and stuff, but it's not a great way to like really unpack what's going on. Some people will hold one-on-one meetings, but those can be awkward because you spend the first 10, 15 minutes like trying to figure out what the heck is going on. As a leader, what you need to realize is that you are getting less information in this environment than you were before, and you need to find a way to bridge that gap. Ask your team to share what they're working on at the end of the week. You know, ask them to fill out a regular written update. Hey, what did you work on this week? How did you feel about your work? Is there anything I can help with? Just asking a few questions. Not only will you have way better one-on-one meetings, but you'll also get a better understanding of where that person's coming from, and you'll be able to have much more targeted meetings. You have to make sure you create these predictable flows of communication and information sharing. Otherwise, you're toast. And that's, I would argue, the thing that the leaders are struggling with most. They're used to walking around. Now they're trying to manage by chatting around in Slack. It just doesn't work. Instead of you running around and chasing after people for information, you need to create systems so the information flows to you instead on a predictable, routine basis. This is something that leaders are just missing out on right now. Luke touched on so many good points. One in particular stuck out to Lisa. She delves further into creating helpful tools and systems of communication. In organizations, where do you typically see that change occurring? You know, who in the organization is making a decision and figuring out what tools, what systems to go out and use? Do you see someone just kind of going out on their own and trying something and seeing if it sticks? Or do you see it more as a top-down change? I mean, I would say this is the number one issue organizations are struggling with right now. The vast majority of, of companies are still kind of trying to like feel their way around. It's like they're in a dark room and they're like just kind of trying to grab anything that they can find. The most successful organizations, it has to come from the top down. It can't be, you know, just one department. There has to be organizational buy-in. It has to start with the CEO. There's no alternative. It has to be something that the CEO cares about. Otherwise, priorities will change. It won't be reiterated enough. There won't be enough budget allocated towards it. You won't be hiring the right people to make this happen. I would say, yeah, we're still in the early innings there. They just don't know what they don't know. What did the forward-looking kind of work from anywhere companies do? Whether it's GitLab, Zapier, Automatic, and others, like A, it started with the CEO. And B, they really worked at it. You know, if I think about this behavior change process, I do believe there is a role for tooling and technology to help. This is something I really try to focus on a lot at my company Friday is like, how do we help drive this behavior change at scale? Because the tooling shapes the outcome. The tools that we use shape the way that we communicate, and they therefore drive certain outcomes. The CEO getting their buy-in most important thing and getting them to recognize the need for this is critical. Then you start kind of spinning up into maybe project teams or groups of people working on different things. I would say probably one of the most important things 
that I believe is missing is kind of, yeah, this home for the most important communication at your company. We love Slack and we use it all the time. It is a place for the quick back and forth. It's not a place for the long-term context and information sharing that you were previously getting in the office. Here's a rule of thumb I use. If you were to hire a new employee, how much could they onboard by themselves? Where could they learn about your company culture, your goals, your mission, vision, values? Where can they see the most important initiatives that you're working on and kind of get a sense of like how things are going? Where can they quickly learn about those people that they're now responsible for working with? How can it be really easy to like kickstart a fun discussion with them? What is the foundation for the everyday work? You know, a lot of people are hacking this together in like a documentation tool or a wiki or a, you know, internal knowledge base. That's a good start. Most companies end up, at least as they grow, creating kind of this intranet feeling product. Zapier, Automatic, Shopify, Stripe, all these wonderful companies we read about in the news, they've all built their own system. And I would argue it's because they understand that this is a huge pain point in a work from anywhere world. And so that's where I see the need for tooling to, to get better. It's There's a role for the knowledge base for workplace chat for your project management tools, but it's like there's a lot of collaborative noise in those systems. You know, and that's fine when you're working on a project, but like zoom out for a second. The tooling problem, but also a, a leadership challenge. Absolutely. And that leadership challenge is a place where we at Consinity work in quite a bit. So we work with CEOs and leadership teams on how to intentionally set their mission, vision, and values and establish a healthy culture and integrate a healthy culture. It's not something that you can come up with in a closed room, your mission, vision, values, and then announce to the organization and expect it to take hold and um, be a meaningful part of what drives your business outcomes and your business success. And we talk about it in terms of a holistic culture integration and how you have to consider how your culture and how your mission and vision and values permeate every part of the employee experience. And that's a challenging thing to do. And I, and I think, you know, a lot of people that we're working with ask, well, okay, how do we include this theme of shifting towards distributed work environments? So I'm curious in the work that you do and what you provide with Friday, how do you see organizations or how do you recommend organizations shaping healthy culture in a distributed work environment? Yeah. Whew. There's a lot of different ways I could go with this one as well. It's a loaded um, question. Yeah. So <laughs> there's this wonderful author and researcher. I think it's uh, Shine or Sheen. He wrote this book, Organizational Culture and Leadership. Kind of one of those like foundational books that I think people should read. It's a little bit of a long read, but he talks about kind of culture being this aggregation of uh, behaviors, artifacts, and norms. It's this idea of culture is kind of a collection of these behaviors and how people act and operate, as well as some assumptions that they make about like, we should do this, we should do it this way. So I think about that. When people think about culture, you know, they naturally think about these behaviors that happened at the office. You know, the classic one is like, oh, the ping pong table. Right. (laughs) And, And it's like, well, what does that represent? right? It's less about the ping pong table. And it's more about what does that represent? Like what is acceptable? What is encouraged? 
I think it's very possible to build a culture in a digital first way. Building a culture in a digital first way. I love how Luke phrases that. Often we view digitization or automation as something that helps with the execution of work itself, something apart from culture. Then it could be difficult to incorporate it. However, what would culture look like if we integrate technologies more from the beginning to enable it as a starting point? For us, it's really important that we, when we are at work, that we're trying to execute at the highest level we can, giving it our best. And sometimes that means like working really quickly to get a feature out. And sometimes it means kind of having higher levels of quality. You know, so when it comes to kind of this collection of behaviors, the things that are acceptable at Friday, for example, are we really believe that the output is what matters most versus the hours. And so we work hard to make sure that the results is kind of this tangible thing versus the amount of time people spend. So we actively work to make sure that people are able to take a break if they want to take a break. I have no way of counting hours, so I don't try to. But what that means for us is that it's really important that people, if they say that they're going to do something, that they do it. Part one is you have to write this stuff down and make sure it's accessible to everybody. You know, this needs to be something that you're constantly as a leader bringing up and talking about. And, you know, your values can be things that come easy and where you're kind of like good at, but they can also be things where you aim to get better at, right? And where you're pushing yourself. And so at Friday, what we do is we have like a page right inside of our app that talks about our mission, vision, and values. We then have ways of basically tagging values when we say thanks to people, when we work on projects. And so then what we can do is we can see if we're actually like living up to those values right? In a quantifiable way. And so it's like, oh, we have this value and we're not really getting a lot of activity around it. A, it could be a problem because we're not living up to our values or B, like maybe we should change our values. You know, like maybe we should iterate on these. I believe in an iterative process that is a combination, as I mentioned, of the things that you really feel are are strengths and behaviors that you really want to care, like to, to celebrate. But there are also behaviors where you, it's kind of like the flip side, where you know if you lean too much into a certain strength, it could become a weakness. And so you need a counterbalance. So anyway, yeah, values is really difficult. But values is a collection of your behaviors. You're still behaving at work. It's just being expressed in different ways. You know, how you choose to communicate over Slack, how you determine that you want to hold meetings. Those are examples of your values in real life right? That are expressed. People think about values as in-person actions. And it's like, it's, it's a collection of behaviors. You're behaving every day of the week. You're behaving all day long. And so the question is, is how do you formalize that? And then how do you celebrate and iterate on it after that? I think this is very much an area that we're still really working to explore. A lot of companies don't even have this written down. You know, how do you expect people to know this stuff if you don't even have it written down, if you're not talking about it? If it's on, you know, your corporate website, and that's it. Stop talking about culture. If, if that's the extent of what you're doing, it's, it's just not enough. You're wasting your time. Lisa also loved this idea of a digital-facing culture. She shares her thoughts on this. I really like the reframe, or it sounded like a reframe to me, where you talked about 
you know, how do we think about culture in a digital first way versus attaching it on to talking about the concept of distributed workforces? Because really it's it's more getting to the root of the of the issue around culture being, you know, something on a website that isn't really pervasive at all versus intentionally integrating it into everything you do, looking at behaviors today and what you foresee as the behaviors that will drive the business and how you shift people from point A to point B on that behavior spectrum. So I think that's really an interesting way to think about it. Before we move on to our next topic, Luke returns to the importance of writing down your company values and embracing them as part of developing your culture. If you formalize your values and you write them down, it gives you kind of these unbiased levers, especially as a leader that you can use to basically really encourage people and nudge people in the right direction. One of our values specifically is balanced trade-offs, right? Speed versus quality. And so if we're working on this really you know, important feature where quality is paramount versus you know, this new experiment, I have to keep the bar high for that. And if someone doesn't keep the bar high, then I have an obligation to say something about it. And it's not about me and my opinion. It's about these things that we all opted into collectively. So in some ways, as a leader, it helps me defray this awkwardness when it comes to encouraging behaviors and also discouraging some behaviors, because I'm pointing to a thing that we all opted into. I'm not saying this is my opinion or my way of doing things. It takes it to a much more objective place when you're having those conversations. And I think all of what you described gets to the importance as well around considering the feedback loop. So how are we establishing values and behaviors and not just in a top-down way, but also making sure that we understand as leaders how that is working for or maybe against the grain of what we need to do in the company. So I think that's an interesting point you've made as well. Over his years of reading, researching, and writing, Luke has come up with principles he and his team live by. And as we tackle 2022, we may find these principles are key not only to surviving, but thriving and change. Some of the principles that I've seen you write about are something we've discussed. Remote work isn't actually about working remotely. Can you talk to me about a few other favorite principles that you might have? I want to make sure I get the biggest top hits. If it doesn't persist, it doesn't exist. I think this is one of the most important ones, and I kind of touched on it before, but it's this idea of really thinking about asynchronous communication and really prioritizing that as a foundation for discussion and understanding. If you're working in kind of a work from anywhere world, you should basically have this assumption or you should operate from like, if it's not written down somewhere, we should act like it doesn't exist. So for example, if someone says that they're going to do something in a Monday morning meeting, if it's not written down, um, it doesn't exist. So that's like a really important one. Another one is uh, kind of communication pumps, keeping information flowing. I use this analogy around plumbing. It's maybe a bit of a weird example, but if you think about kind of the current tooling in the workplace when it comes to communication, you have email, you have Slack or Teams, you have uh, Zoom. I think of those as like, those are communication pipes, right? It's never been easier to communicate with people that you work with. Now the issue that teams and organizations are struggling with is how do I make sure that the communication flows on a predictable, repeatable basis? You know, so back to the plumbing example, 
You have pipes, but you also have pumps. And the pumps are critical. Otherwise, you get a gush of water in one area and a trickle in another. And so the pumps, I think a lot about as being, what are these kind of rituals or these habits in which you are sharing what you're working on? You're sharing how you're kind of thinking about the work, how things are going, right? If you just had the pipes, you're going to feel overwhelmed at times and feel like you're missing out at other times. I feel like that's the state of being for so many companies right now. So pipes and pumps. You're not just talking about holding a meeting and then capturing notes, right? I really believe in structured, regularly occurring asynchronous communications. So what does that actually look like for a team leader to implement? Most of them will do some type of, we call it broadly speaking, like a Friday update. What did you work on this week? What are you thinking about doing next week? How did you feel about the work? Is there anything you know that, that I can help you with? And oftentimes, this is between employee and the team leader. And so this is a nice reflective process to end the week. You know, imagine like habit journaling. The cadence is really important. So that's one end of week reflective process. And then what you do is you end up creating this nice artifact of what you accomplished and what you're looking forward to that you can align around as an employee and as a team leader. You also, over time, can see a running log of this. And it provides a wonderful way, you know, when your performance reviews come along, it provides this wonderful stream. Um, that you can pull from that is really, really kind of objective, right? Another one is, you know, if you're part of really collaborative and fast moving teams, you know, you could do something like a daily stand up, which is very popular in engineering uh, circles. So, but what did you accomplish yesterday? What are you working on today? And is there anything else you'd like to share? You know, what's kind of funny is the, is there anything else you'd like to share is really enlightening. Because people can share, hey, I'm going to be out this afternoon. I have a couple appointments. Or, hey, here's a fun thing that happened yesterday with me and my family. So you're mashing work with fun. And then the third one could be either a monthly recap. What are the big things that you accomplished this month that you're excited about type of questions? Or you could kickstart your week by just saying, hey, here's what I aim to do this week. So you're creating the individual drives, what their expected output will be. And then you as a team leader... If you need to nudge or if you need to course correct a little bit, you can figure that out quick. And then at the end of the week, you basically can use that in your reflection to see if you did what you said you would do. These can sometimes replace some of these reoccurring meetings. But for a lot of teams and organizations, it's a complement to those meetings because then they can show up and they can talk about their weekend or they can talk about this really thorny proposal that they're trying to figure out instead of going around and saying, here's what I'm doing today. Here's what I worked on yesterday. It's like, gosh, those are the meetings people hate. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Those are great tangible tips, though, to get people's minds thinking about different ways that they can keep those pumps of information flowing versus having standing meetings and whatnot. Before we hop off, we asked Luke if he has any more principles he'd like to highlight. He brought the conversation back to our first topic in the beginning of the show, one that has been on the forefront of all of our minds, remote work. What I would encourage people to do, especially leaders, is really, really think about the autonomy and the flexibility piece. If you're skeptical, let's say, of kind of this whole work from anywhere thing, and you're like, I can't wait to bring my employees back to the office, a couple points. One is that this work from anywhere thing has network effect like characteristics, which means that as more people 
work from anywhere and who offer it as a perk, even if you're not excited about it, the market is shifting and it will force you to adopt this, whether you like it or not. Because as more people do this, working from anywhere is an incredibly high NPS score. And so they're really likely to tell their friends about it. And they never want to go back, especially when you have the autonomy to do like a day a week in the, in the office or four days a week from home, right? This is the new normal. And you owe it to yourself to dig deeper. You owe it to your business to dig deeper. And if you think about kind of this principle, like what was true 50 or 100 years ago that will be true 50 to 100 years from now, it's like people want autonomy. This is the next wave of autonomy. Peter Drucker talked about it in the 80s and the 90s. Like there was a barrier. It was our norms, the way that we always did things. We would go into the office. That artificial or that, you know, that wall has just been broken through and there's just no going back. And so you owe it to yourself to invest more in these areas. Uh, because if you don't, you're probably going to lose some really talented employees. And you will also see lower levels of productivity if you don't figure this out. We're going to highlight that line and put it on auto repeat in the podcast because we actually work with some individuals out there who might listen to this and you know who you are that uh, aren't quite bought into what you're saying, but we are hearing it over and over and over again from folks that are leaning into this and seeing, you know, what, what the trend is. So maybe with that, actually, we'd be, we're going to try out Friday at Consinity. But perhaps for somebody who is just exploring this with their organization, you know, maybe 30 seconds or less on what you might recommend that they take a look at in terms of, I know you have a few different solutions and, you know, maybe not to put you on the spot, but if you mentioned that they, uh, you, they heard you on this podcast, maybe you just, you know, give them a little extra love or something, a little extra yeah, support, yeah. who knows? If you want to chat more, send me an email, luke at friday.app. Uh, if you want to check out the product, just go to friday.app. We have like a, a free trial, pretty low risk. There's also uh, a free book that we open sourced uh, where I kind of discuss a lot of the, the things that we chatted about on the podcast in detail, not trying to make any money. Uh, it's friday.app slash anywhere, or you can find it on Spotify, YouTube, and basically all the, the podcast platforms. So it's yeah, great. we're just trying to really like help accelerate this because so many organizations and leaders are just still trying to figure things out. We're just trying to help because this has been my life for the last decade, basically. It's your passion. We can hear it. So that's good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you so much, Lisa, for um, really helping to guide this conversation. I think we could have talked for another 30 minutes at least. So fun <laughs> for conversation. Sure. We probably might have to have Luke back. I'm just thinking of a couple of other uh, threads we could pull with him. So, Luke, Anytime. it was it was really a pleasure connecting with you today and having you on our podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening and joining this week's episode of Survive and Thrive Podcast. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Take care. <laughs>